Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, and so grateful to share this story with you. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. We're so glad you've joined us. So thanks so much for joining us again, Mike or Michael, which do you prefer? I go by both. I think right? most people probably call me Mike. I think my my immediate family ends up calling me Michael predominantly, but uh, most people call me Mike. So whichever you prefer works for me. We can roll with Mike. Um, yeah. Why don't you journey us back in case people haven't found time to listen back to the first time we talked, to maybe share a little bit about your diagnosis story, but then how you came to find HSCT. Yeah, so I guess the abridged version of my diagnosis mm-hmm. story is um, in 2006, right after I graduated undergrad, I um, woke up one morning with hazy vision, and my my mother did medical billing for a, an ophthalmology optometry office, so they got me in pretty quickly um, to evaluate for whatever was going on, at which time the ophthalmologist set me up with a, a neurologist in the building there and I, I got an MRI pretty quickly. And at the time, you know, they said they that I, I fit the potential criteria for MS, but or, or I didn't fit all of the requirements at the time. So I, I guess they could have called it CIS or clinically isolated syndrome, mm. which was, you know, a shock to the system at at, I guess I was 21 or 22. Absolutely. Um, at the time, just finished undergrad. So they got me on um, steroids, IV steroids, uh, pretty quickly. And that cleared up almost 100%. Like uh, pretty immediately afterwards, if I got overheated, I'd, I'd get a little bit of hazy vision that would clear up. But as far as like my acuity and my quality of vision, um, everything returned. So I, I was pretty lucky in that regard because I, um, I know some people who have an optic neuritis, uh, don't always get, well, with any type of flare up, you may not always get full recovery afterwards. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I, I guess looking back, I should be grateful in a way because a lot of people go years not knowing what the heck is going on with them or thinking they're, you know, making it up or, or it's all in their head. So, you know, I didn't go through that turmoil of not knowing what the heck was going on. I, I got smacked with this diagnosis of MS after just, you know, to me at the time, having a little bit of hazy vision and cleared up, never really had any other remarkable symptoms to speak of um, prior, even, you know, when I would I'm sure at the time I was thinking back, you know, did I ever have any tingling, weakness, anything? Um, and I, I couldn't come up with anything. So, um, 
Oh, and I did men- mean to mention to you the last time we spoke, uh, the crazy thing is, is the second I got that diagnosis, I was brought back to like my sixth grade class because it must have been like science or something or, or they were going over, I don't know if it was different diseases that people can get, but um, I distinctly remember them putting mittens on our hands oh. and asking us to try and tie our shoes and saying that that's what it can be like for someone who has MS. Um, wow. So it's weird that that stuck in my memory. Like, I don't remember if I yeah. picked that particular disease out or if that's just what they were covering. But the fact that it stuck in my mind um, all those years later, I thought was pretty wild how, how things, you know, come full circle, not, you know, always in a way that you want them to, but it, uh, as soon as I got, I heard those words. That, that's when my my mind went like trying to tie your hands with with mittens. Oh wow! On. Um, yeah, but anyway, that's just a side thing that I meant to mention to you the the first time we chatted. But yeah, so anyway, I got the optic neuritis. Things cleared up almost a hundred percent, and pretty much went on with my life. I I had followed um up with MRIs pretty regularly for the first number of years there and there was little to no activity so I um at the time had opted not to go on any type of medications mm-hmm. um and at the time really it was just um interferons that were offered to me sure. um, I don't know if that's all that was available at the time or if that was just you know the most or, or the most what made the most sense to start on given uh, my findings. So, um, knowing what they told me about the potential side effects of those at the time, I opted to say, you know what, I'll just, I'll watch this. I don't have any other symptoms. Um, went on with my life for almost, gosh, it was actually a little over 10 years cause it was 2017 when, um, I had another, recognizable flare, mm. um, which resulted in some leg weakness. I, I was going for a jog and, um, made it about a mile and my legs started to drag. So I, um, you know, knowing what was potentially coming up the road, I, I knew, knew what was going on when it happened. So I reconnected with a neurologist, um, in, where I had lived at or where I live now in Jacksonville, um, at, at which time they had, you know, ran MRIs again. And th- there was quite a bit of activity, not necessarily active stuff, but there had been stuff that had gone on between 2006 and um, 2017 that, you know, I wasn't aware of or maybe pushed through or, or chalked up to being something completely unrelated. unrelated. Yeah, you can always yeah. justify, it feels like, you can find stories or make up stories in your head about what's going on and trying to just yeah. deny that it's MS. Exactly. So it never, you know, again, I always knew that um, MS was something that I could potentially have or things could develop. Um, but you know, when it hit the 10, 11 year mark, I, I started to think maybe I was one of the lucky ones, which I had mentioned to you in the past Mm. that, you know, about 50% of people with an optic neuritis, uh, 
develop MS um, in and around that statistic. I don't know exactly what it is now, but um, so I was kind of at the point like, oh, maybe I'm one of the the lucky 50% that it doesn't progress to that. And it was just brought on by something unknown and uh, that'll be it. But that did not end up being the case. Mm. And um, in 2017, once the the flare-up happened, um, I, I was given, you know, the list of medications to go through, and my neurologist kind of steered me um, in the direction of certain ones that made sense for kind of where I was at. Um, so I did end up getting on Jelenia um, probably a, a couple months after that flare-up once, like, the insurance and everything went through. Um but I just continued to suffer from fatigue. Um, my, my, I don't know if they were new symptoms or worsening symptoms, but it's, it's always been my, my right leg that was, you know, my problem child, I call it. Uh, mm. it it's always that been that side and affected that area. So right after that initial flare, I would, I don't, I didn't go on IV steroids. I must have like been on the tail end of that flare or something by the time I noticed it and it kind of, you know, fizzled out on its own because I, he didn't put me on steroids. But, uh, you know, so I would try jogging thinking it would kind of resolve like my optic neuritis mm. did. And I, I just, I'd make it maybe a mile and then I'd have to walk and then slowly, from 2017 to when I spoke with you and I guess, what was it, August or September of 2021, I went from being able to jog to, you know, still being able to walk. I had taken some trips to New York and like never was concerned or um, about like walking per se, as far as like going long distances where it would become an issue. Um and then I remember distinctly being on a trip in California and we were all hiking and I must have just gotten overheated and my, my leg just was starting to give out as we were going down um, mm. like a, a hill. So that was um, really where I was like, okay, this is actually starting to impact more than just recreation. Well, I guess hiking is still considered recreational, but, um, you know, it would only really be noticeable when I would try and jog. Mm -hmm. um, that was the only time it really popped up. But then it just would progressively get worse and worse. And um, I went from Jelenia to Ocrevus. And at, the, at one of my follow-ups on Ocrevus, I, I told the neurologist, I was like, if I continue down this road, I, I don't know how long I'm going to last. I feel like I've aged uh, I think I used the analogy with the last time like I told him, I feel like I aged like 50, 60 years yeah. in, in the couple of years that I would say that my MS became active or noticeably active. Um, so I, he was bringing up some other medication options to consider and um, the Facebook world or the algorithm on my um right on my Facebook page brought up something about um, Selma Blair's journey with uh, mm. HSCT and um, I connected with 
somebody who had had HSCT in Chicago with Dr. Burt. And, um, you know, we, we went through the details of everything and, um, I just started, um, doing some research on it because I, I thought it was maybe one of those fringe things that a celebrity was doing. Right. Um, I had heard, um, you know, stem cell treatments to be careful of that, you know, it, it's just, they're injecting you with, uh, stem cells. There's no chemo involved. So, um, you know, maybe there's some temporary benefit, but it's not getting to the root of what, what MS is and, and why your, your body behaves the way it does. So, um, so I had almost chalked it up to that, but then the more I was reading about it and, and all the research I was doing, I said, you know, this, this makes sense. And what do I have to lose at this point? Because I'm already running out of options as far as different medications to go on. Yeah, I was going to say, what is, what is there after Ocrevus other than other options that maybe aren't as effective? Yeah, he had um, thrown out Lamtrada as an option. He had even thrown that out there um, before I went on Ocrevus. Um, And he said he had someone that worked in his office that had, quote unquote, been in remission since being on Lamtrada. But once I looked up, the follow-up care involved and um, the potential for other things that could develop after being on that medication. Um, I just wasn't at the time prepared to make what I would consider a pretty drastic leap um, going from just having to take a pill. And this was like my transition from, from Jelenia to Ocrevus. So, um, so I was like, not quite ready to to make that leap. Um, but then when Ocrevus was failing, he had mentioned Lumtrada again, or maybe uh, switching to a medication that uh, acted on a different immune cell. So we had, had talked about switching to Tysabri. So when we spoke last, I was, I was thinking, why are we again going to switch to one that is I guess considered a little bit less effective than mm. Ocrevus, but at the time, not knowing that he was Tysabri, I guess targets a different immune cell sure. than um, than Ocrevus does. So, because I was not responding to Ocrevus, um, he was thinking, "Well, let's try this one that goes at it a little bit different way and see if it if it helps." Um, but I, I'm JCV positive, so I knew. Right. My time would probably be limited with that, even if I was getting benefit, because it seems like people's, I guess, titers for the virus slowly start to rise and eventually you have to get off it. So the long and short of it was um, I don't know how many other options I have. So uh, the fact that this treatment can claim to halt it and potentially not ever have to be on any type of disease modifying therapy again, um, makes sense to me. So the next step was, okay, where, where do I go for this? So, right. um, I, and, and I moved very quickly. I, I think, um, when, when we spoke again, I can't remember exactly what, what month that was when we spoke, but I had just kind of learned about 
HSCT maybe two months prior mm -hmm. and I had already applied to Mexico and had been communicating with Cleveland Clinic and um, the Colorado Blood Cancer Institute. Mm -hmm. um, and all of which looked like they were going to accept me based on, you know, the criteria for the BDMS trial. Having um, failed two meds, yeah. Having failed two meds. Um, and the Colorado Blood Cancer Institute, um, I think I was actually going to be going through them. They were going to attempt to do it through my insurance. I know they were participating in the BDMS trial, but we were potentially moving forward just trying to get my insurance um, to cover it. But uh, both those procedures in the U.S. or treatments are the... Um, are the Myeloablative. Myeloablative, excuse yeah. me, yeah. Um, so because I've got a, a young family at home and, and the recovery was so much longer and seemed a lot more extreme, um, and at the time there didn't seem to be much difference in how beneficial one was versus the other, you know, meaning myeloablative and non-myeloablative seemed to knock um, you into remission fairly equally. I, I decided to go with the non-myeloablative approach since the recovery would be a bit easier um, and hopefully shorter than completely um, knocking out not only my immune system, but, you know, killing off all my bone marrow too. So, so that's ultimately why I decided to go to Mexico for treatment. And I went to Monterey in January of, uh, 2022, January 3rd. So happy stem cell birthday. Yes, thank you. A little January bit late. 7th. Yeah, no, that's okay. Yep, have my one year on the seventeenth. Um, so yeah, I um, I did all the did all the steps I needed to to apply for Mexico and was accepted and uh, went down. And there were a couple hiccups in in throughout treatment uh, that I don't know if you want me to get into or absolutely. Or not, but, well, yeah, so. I mean, my next question would have been, how did it go and who did you take as your caregiver and did you enjoy cooking while you yeah, were there um, and preparing your own meals? Yeah, so um, I took my husband as my caregiver. I ultimately um, chose the Monterey location over the Pueblo location because um, at the time, uh, with COVID still going on, um, there was talk that the rooftop terraces wouldn't be open. So oh, right. getting some outside, I don't even want to say fresh air, but just getting out sure. of the building was important. And I was also considering switching caregivers to my my father and, and his wife halfway through. Uh, so that wouldn't have been a possibility in Monterey, uh, excuse me, in Pueblo, but it would have been in... Uh, Monterey. Monterey. Oh. So um, because I guess the setup in Monterey is the building is a general building that the clinic um, owns a handful of apartments in that building, but there's, you know, regular tenants in there as well. So it's not all 
MS patients are all HSCT patients in the building. So that's what would have made that transfer possible. Whereas in Puebla, I, I saw on Facebook someone equated to almost a treatment resort. So you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're going and it's just, you know, strictly HSCT. Um, patient, yeah. yeah, strictly HSCT and, and your caregiver, um, whether it be someone you hire or a family member or friend. So, um, so yeah, um, ultimately that's why I chose Monterey and, um, my husband stayed the, the whole time. The, oh, initially that's I was wonderful. a little bit concerned. Yeah. We were, we were concerned about being away from the kids for, for that a whole long. Month. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, it being both of us, it, we thought it would be a little bit easier if, uh, he were able to do two weeks and then transition with my my dad um, coming in, but because of COVID at the time, um, we ultimately decided it was just safer to to not have to take that chance of my family flying in mid mid treatment because it would have been in like the neutropenia phase where mm. they would be transitioning. So right, and you, you know, never know what they might pick up on the plane. Right. Right. So pretty, pretty risky time to make that switch. Um, and my husband is fluent in Spanish. So it, oh, that's it made, helpful. Yes. Um, and especially the way things kind of unfolded, it definitely ended up being a blessing that he was there because, um, as I mentioned, there were a, a couple hiccups in the beginning and throughout treatment that would have been probably even more stressful trying to you know, they're all well-versed in English and you can understand them and they understand you. Um, but it just helps sometimes to hear it um, from a loved one. Right. Right. So, um, so yeah, so you get there and, um, the first thing they did is test you for COVID and you're basically isolated in your apartment until you get that negative test. And then after you get the negative test, they start their own screening process. You've already sent them your MRIs and your health history and everything, but they do um, a lung function test. They do um, an EKG. Echocardiogram of your heart, probably. Yep. Yep. And um, that's actually where the hiccup came in with me is because, yeah, I knew that I had um, an irregular heartbeat. Like I have an extra an extra beat, um, which I had told them about, which I'd been told was called premature atrial contraction. Um, so, but not, I didn't need to be on any medication for it. There wasn't really any risk of anything happening down the line as far as my heart was concerned. So, you know, I wasn't super concerned with it. And just based on the records that I had submitted to Mexico, uh, or Clinica Ruiz, um, everything looked good. But when they did the EKG, um, I guess whoever was doing the screening wanted me to be evaluated by a cardiologist down there um, before beginning treatment. So you can imagine, you know, you're, you're stressed out about wanting to, you know, excited and stressed wanting to get started on, right. get treatment underway. And then all of a sudden there's this potential roadblock mm. that, um, you know, maybe my heart couldn't handle the, the, chemo. the chemotherapy. Yeah, yeah chemotherapy. Um, so the day before we were actually supposed to start treatment, I'm running around to 
a cardiologist and then the cardiologist sent me across the street um, to get, I guess, an actual like MRI of my heart because um, oh. I wanted to check the, I guess, the ejection fraction, the amount of blood that my heart was uh, pumping out because uh, they thought it was a little bit low for my age range. So ultimately, they once they got the results of everything, they they said, no, we, we can move forward with treatment, but we want to start you on a, a lower dose of chemo than what they normally do. And immediately my heart sank because, uh, you know, such a weird thing to be hoping for all the chemo you right. can get, you know right. what I mean? But, yeah. you know, from what I had read, it, it was important that, um, you know, you get this X amount of chemo, um, you know, whatever the protocol be where you got your treatment, um, you know, X amount per, per kilogram or whatever. So my first question was, well, is this going to be effective? You know, if we're starting off lower or if I tolerate it, can we, you know, build up to what I'm supposed to be getting? Great um, question. So they, they said, yes, yeah, certainly if you seem to respond well to it, um, we'll, we'll bump you up. So that's ultimately what happened. But um, in the back of my mind, I'm always like, did I get enough? You know, was it enough to um, yes. do what it needed to do? Yes. Um, and I mean, I, I went into neutropenia. So, I mean, certainly I got enough chemo to at least Knock lab all those wise. Cells out. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so I guess it did in that regard, but um, that's always in the back of my mind that like, at least that initial treatment, uh, because it was less than I was supposed to, did would that maybe affect the outcome? So that was the first hiccup. And then, oh, and one thing I should say, I don't know if if um, anyone from like the clinic listens to these, but I would say uh, mental health is super important going yes. through yeah through this treatment. Um, I. I had spoken to a therapist before, um, but because of restrictions, um, and, and I had spoken to her virtually the entire time, but even though, um, it was virtual, she couldn't like counsel me. Um, even if I was like out of state, um, never mind outside the country. So, oh, wow. Um, so, um, just, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here, so I hope That's it's okay. easy for people to follow, but I, um, I, well, yeah. So anyway, I'll, I'll go back to that, I guess. But, um, I, I was extremely stressed going into the treatment because one, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get it. And then if I was going to get it, was it going to be the right amount? Mm. Um, so, and then plus they're pumping you full of steroids through, through the right. chemo and whatnot too. So, um, I'm sure everyone listening knows what steroids do to you, which, mm -hmm. you know, just makes you edgy to begin with. So absolutely. Um, and then you can't sleep, which makes it even no. worse. <laughs> That's ex And that was, that was my problem. Like in the beginning. So the way Mexico's treatment course goes is you get two rounds of chemo, then you get, um, the injections to, uh, stimulate your stem cells and they monitor you regularly until you reach, uh, the, the amount, uh, harvest and 
and you get them harvested and then you do your last rounds of chemo and then they just monitor you until your immune system recovers. So after the first two rounds of chemo, like I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping. Um, I was super anxious. Like my, I was shaking. Um, I, I, I was wondering if I was having a heart attack, you know, mm. the whole time because they were worried about how my heart was going right. to handle. And then of course, getting hit by chemo, uh, those with, you know, who have, have been through it or, or just know when you're sick with a cold with MS, your symptoms are worse. So mm -hmm. for me, um, I'd heard people talk about, oh, you feel pretty good after your first round of chemo because it knocks down the inflammation. a lot of the inflammation. Um, but I, like my walking immediately, like was far worse. Like I needed to be like, like I walked in there on my own and I needed to be holding on to my husband to get out. But, I, you know, it's chemotherapy. It's a, it's right. an aggressive, intense treatment. So it's makes sense that, you know, you're not going to be feeling tip top shape. Right. But I, so I immediately have started having these thoughts, like, what have I done? You know, you're in another country, of you're course. now not feeling well and wondering if you made the biggest mistake of your life. Mm. Um, so, so I guess rounding back to my point about mental health, I think is critical going through this treatment. Um, I wish they had had some type of social worker or therapist. therapist yeah. and, and, and maybe, maybe they did. Maybe I just didn't ask, or maybe it wasn't clear, but I was, my, my issues with like shaking and um, my heart rate was like through the roof was I was essentially having an anxiety attack for mm. 48 hours, um, you know, because I was just so worried about how I was doing. And then on top of the steroids was just kind of amplifying it. So yeah. once they kind of determined that that's what it was, I, um, I started taking some uh, or an increased dose for, for my anxiety. And once I knew that's what it was, I calmed down too. You know right. what I mean? Once right. I knew yeah. that it was not me having a heart attack right. and, once I knew kind of what to expect with the chemo, I, I started to roll with things a little bit. And it's I didn't, just so hard to sort out on your own, though. Yeah, I mean, it is. And of course, you. I mean, there's other people there, but everyone's having various responses. Some are doing great. Some, like I was there with four other people. And uh, one night, the first night, one person had to go to the hospital just because I think they became so dehydrated from being sick from the mm. chemo. Um, and then uh, other people like sailing through, not having any issues. Um, you're just kind of all over the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to comfort yourself by saying, okay, well, this is what everyone else is going through because everyone else's experience is so different, even the people you're, you're there with. So, so yeah, there was that. And then um, for us, in in Mexico, you had the option to have your stem cells. I guess because I I was younger, um, when I was having treatment, my veins were in good shape. That they might have been able to um, harvest the stem cells by putting um, needles into both of my arms, um, and instead of having to have the vas cath mm -hmm. or pick line as they do in others. So, for me, going into treatment, that was 
probably one of the things I was most scared about. So I was like, oh, if I may not have to have this fast cap put in, um, that'll be a, a huge stressor off of me because I was just worried about it, you know? Yeah. There, there wasn't, I, you know, I'd listen to other people's experiences and it's not, it's not bad, you know what I mean, going through it. No, it's just, just stressful. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's the central so, line. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but then as it was getting closer, the um, nurse was saying, well, your veins might be okay, so we can start by doing that. But if it doesn't, then we have to do the right. step anyway. So I'm like stuck with this decision where I was like, oh, I could maybe take the easier road for me, but it might not end up panning out that way in the end anyway. So ultimately, I decided to uh, go for the VASCAP and, and that procedure went pretty smoothly, except, um, I guess when, so the way it goes in, in Mexico too, is you're, you're taken from your building to an offsite location for the chemo. And then there was another location that we went to, to have the, the line put in. So myself and one other person was ready to have them put in on the same day. So we went together and got through that. But on the way back, when we were walking up to the building, the caretaker of the other person was like, um, Mike, you're bleeding from the neck. Oh, um, no. So, and again, I, this is not to scare people. It's just, no, to, it's, you know, it can they, happen. It can happen. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was still kind of loopy from the anesthesia and I was like, oh, okay. And uh, my husband was like, yeah, we need to get you back immediately. Like, because mm. it was, it had soaking through the, the patch and starting to leak mm. down my chest. So the van that took us immediately brought us back and, you know, it was nothing major. It just didn't fully clot before we left or it could have even like a, been a bump from the, the ride that, sure. you know, just caused it to bleed. But it was a scary evening there because you're, you've got a doctor like has his hands on your neck for, for about an hour, just making sure that the bleeding stops. And then they did an ultrasound to make sure that, um, that it didn't get into like the cavities inside my, my chest or my neck or anything. Mm. And thankfully that all worked out. Um, so, so those were like my, I guess, memorable moments through treatment as far as like being something to, speak of or just be prepared for that be prepared for what can't be prepared for if that makes sense absolutely um, because of course it's stressful as you're living through it right and then you're surely wondering well what else can go wrong yeah and these things and may not go wrong and nothing may go wrong right and but right. at the same time even though it's not even that it went wrong like i like that you call it a hiccup right? And yeah. Because they handled it and everything worked out fine. Um, they're trained medical professionals, right? They're to be trusted. Yeah. And it's just Absolutely. one of things those happen. things. Yeah. So I would say after that, everything went smoothly um, as far as the following two chemo treatments and, uh, you know, or, or the harvest and then the chemo treatments and, and bumping you know, up everything. the chemo. Yes. So I think they bumped it up even after the first one or they, they, I think they knocked me down about 
25% initially and then bumped it up half that amount on the second one. And then my last two rounds of chemo were like the full amount. So that should bring you peace of mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as far as, cause who, who knows, you know, it's not to say that that's the magic number. I think probably that's what's been studied and that's what proved to be to get you into neutropenia. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I hit neutropenia tells me at least that the amount that I got in, in from that clinical standpoint did what it was supposed to do. Sure. Um, and uh, otherwise, I would say for me, everything went pretty smoothly there. I was, again, in the beginning, it was my, I was my own worst enemy. My mind was making me worse off than I needed to be. And then, like I said, that little hiccup with the, with the vast cat there were really the only things. So, shockingly, the, the latter rounds of chemo um, to me, I thought it would like compound and I would just get sicker and sicker. Mm. I actually was like less nauseous as things went on. And I, I never vomited or anything like that. I would just become pretty nauseous in the evening. So I I brought um, ginger candies mm-hmm. and um, would just suck on them. You know, of course, they give you all this anti-nausea medication or if this happens, then take this. You you come with this. When, when you arrive in your apartment, there's this backpack full of like medications that you're taking throughout the course of the treatment and then additional medications for, let's say, if you have excess nausea or if you have constipation or, or diarrhea, you know, there's all these other things that you have at your disposal if you if you need them. So yeah, like I said, interestingly enough, the the chemo, the last two rounds of chemo were fine. I don't think I don't think I had any nausea to speak of, and because they had bumped up the medication that I was taking for my anxiety, I was doing okay sleeping too. Oh, um, that's so, so important. Yeah. So the last the last leg of the actual treatment part was very uneventful for me. It was, um, you know, everything went as expected. And um, then you hit neutropenia and you just kind of wait for your numbers to climb back up before you go home. At least that's how it is in in Mexico. And in Monterey, like I said, you, I was there with four other people. So we were able to interact with with other people uh, throughout the course of the treatment. And um, we became pretty close with um, someone on our floor. Uh, so we would go over and play cards every night. And that would well, that's kind of nice. just... Uh, yeah, it, would, it was something to take your mind off of being away from your family mm. and just to socialize a little bit. Uh, gave you some semblance of, I don't want to say normalcy, but just being outside of that bubble of just treatment, you know, because a lot of my days was, I was, I sat watching TV. Patrick is an attorney, so he was able to handle a lot of his work stuff um, remotely. Yeah. Um, Which absolutely was great. Um, But at the same time, it was a little bit lonely at times too, just because I was, left with my my thoughts but completely mm. understandable like he had to do what he had to do to work and was, was right. there of course for anything that obviously needed to be done but um 
so anyway, that that social part was for me was was great that we were able to interact with with other people and you know we did break the rules a little bit in neutropenia we were you know supposed to fully isolate but we were getting in a van with these people every day going to the clinic and stuff so um we we still would play cards with the the other girl and her caretaker through that phase too so you know maybe was not the smartest thing to do but it it also was good for my mental health at the same time. Sure. And no complications or infections resulted. Nope. And that's, I think that's helpful for others to hear about Monterey, that that's a possibility because while some people end up there on their own and there isn't anyone else going through HSET, that's, I think, somewhat of a misnomer that you're there and then you're stuck in your apartment. Um, Yeah. No, and even though, um, you know, we were able to walk around the building during the day, so I really tried to push myself with that because with my leg, um, if if I'm stationary for long periods of time, I get even more stiff. Yep. Um, so just to be able to get out and move around the building, so you know, important. it wasn't, yeah, it, w- it wasn't pretty, uh, but I did it, you know, just to, to keep some, some, action going on uh, in that leg oh in chicago like they told us we needed to walk laps around the hospital floor which was dreadfully boring yeah yeah well and that's kind of how this we we joked i mean this isn't a very the building was was gated and was very safe but it was surrounded by a concrete wall so Mm -hmm. we would joke that we're walking around the prison yard (laughs) right um, because you know it's it's just a building there's no there's no greenery or anything in the parking lot it's just a parking lot but that was what we had access to and we did actually end up having access to the rooftop but with Monterey it's in a valley surrounded by these you know beautiful mountains but uh, the mountains were just, it's, it's also a very large city too so there's a lot of cars so the smog would just kind of get trapped in mm that valley so if you were elevated high up meaning like on the rooftop for long periods you you'd kind of start to get a headache too just because of the, the air quality and it could have been the time of year that we were there I'm not saying it's always like that but temperature and time of year I think has a lot to do with the amount of smog that gets sure. kind of trapped in those valleys so um, not necessarily something that everyone will have to think about but um, it's something to consider when at least with Mexico and choosing between two, two locations. There are plenty of factors to consider and you have shared so many helpful tips already. So I'm curious to know why it was important for you to participate in the podcast today. Um, because I, I don't want to say I didn't get the results that I was hoping for. I got exactly the results that you're supposed to get. Um, which means at least that when I've had my MRIs, things have been halted. Excellent. Um, you know, there hasn't been no activity on my MRIs, but I think you almost go into it hoping for a miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many stories of um, people who do get improvements mm-hmm. uh, from from the treatment that, you know, who who wouldn't want that for themselves. So, you know, I came out of treatment kind of like, 
I have the tiger playing in my head. Like I'm going to kill it as far as recovery. I'm going to get my life back. And, um, and I did notice some pretty, I, I noticed some improvement initially. Like I, I did, I got wheelchair, um, care for the airport if I needed it, but I, I walked that entire airport Good from for Monterey you. and we connected in, I think it was Houston or something like that right after treatment. So, so if the, who knows whether it was just being done with treatment or the steroids still, steroids. you know, do wonder mm. for you. Um, but I, I, was feeling pretty good when I when I finished up treatment and then of course you're in this recovery bubble because you're not supposed to go back to work you're not supposed to interact with um, lots of people in the beginning till your immune system catches up so I had nothing to do but you know work on my physical health for that Mm -hmm. time period you know so I was doing once it was safe for me to start physical therapy again, I started physical therapy and, and was working on that every day um, and was starting to at least note some improvements in strength or just my walking was improving. Then I ended up getting COVID in August. So I had gone back to work and slowly i had gone back to work actually about three months um after getting back from treatment part-time and i'm i'm in healthcare i'm an optometrist so um i had to be careful just because for Mm -hmm. part of our exam process with patients we're right in a patient's face yeah yeah um so I definitely wanted to get that first round of blood work to at least see that my uh, immune system was climbing back to where it should be or had hit normal. So that first round of blood work, I was in normal range for just about everything um, as far as my immune system was concerned. So I was feeling well enough at the time to return back to work. So I did that slowly um, from about month two or three after treatment through month six. I just slowly worked my way back up to my full time, which is four days a week. But, you know, the bubble of recovery pops when you go back to work and you've got, or, or even walk through the door now that you've, for me, with my kids and stuff like that. Right. So um, it wasn't all about me anymore. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, I had to care for, for my kids in whatever capacity I was feeling up to it. And, you know, you leave there with a list of restrictions. I couldn't change diapers for the first six mm-hmm. months there which who's, who's complaining about that anyway right. um, well your husband but, maybe yeah yeah right, like... he, he, for sure that's true um, <laughs> I certainly wasn't but um but yeah so I was noticing improvements and then I went back to work and um then I got COVID in August and uh I wasn't hospitalized or anything I didn't I, I felt miserable for yes. two days, but right. ever since that, uh, it really set me back in whatever progress I had made. And I don't want to say that progress was going beyond my baseline, but I was getting at least to where I was right before treatment. But ever since then, I've just kind of plateaued where where I'm at now. 
and where I'm at now is uh, I can I can walk around my house pretty well um, without having to use anything. Before when we spoke last, I was really resisting any type of mobility aids mm. because um, at the time I wasn't really noticing them to be beneficial. But um, I I have started using um, trekking poles some and mainly because i feel like it gives me a more normal gait yes Um, exactly that's what really when i was starting to notice um improvement before covid um i was working on trying to you know walk normally or walk with a normal gait again so the trekking poles at least got me to where it was as normal as i could be because my major issues are in my hip flexors and um, I have lots of spasticity in my hamstrings, quads and calves. So uh, I will be uh, like the Tin Man um, on my worst days. And then on my better days, I do get some bending and and flexure and at the knee there, but it's not, it's not anywhere near normal. Well, and chemo can make the spasticity worse too. Yeah. So yep. like and detoxing all of that and really, I believe, just investing the time and dedication. Over time, yeah. it will continue. Like five and a half years post, I really don't have spasticity where I, like it was a daily beast yeah. and a struggle. Um, I Did you go through time. a roller coaster, so to speak, that everyone kind of talks of post-treatment? Did you have that? Sure. Do you think? Um, yeah. but not necessarily, I didn't have too many ups and downs. It, it felt more of a steady, steady, get to the plateau and baseline. Yeah. Um, yeah. and now like, even though I still walk with trekking poles because it supports proper movement, my balance yeah. still is not the greatest. And so I just, yeah. especially when I'm out in public, it's helpful for me to have those trekking poles because it declares yeah. I need distance from people <laughs> like, uh-huh. right. It almost yeah. helps them become more aware. Like, Oh, I can't just bump into, the, especially when I'm at my kid's school. Right. Like, yeah. And it's crowded yeah. or whatever. You bring up a good point. It's, it's funny too, because uh, as, as you say, you've now got something that shows people you've got a physical, I guess, impairment. Um, so it, it's, it's a pretty, pretty wild how people react and yes. how people because outwardly you're I'm I'm 39 years old you know so if I'm just sitting there looking at me you'd think I'm a typical 39 year old young man um, until I get up and try and walk and funny thing happened when we we recently went on vacation for a good friend's wedding in Hawaii. So, um, Mm, this long travel and yes, it was, it was lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Hawaii is one of my favorite places on earth. It is. I mean, I get it. I mean, we living in Florida before I'd gone was kind of like, ah, we've got our beaches here. Why, why do we need to travel halfway across the world? But it is, um, it's it's a magical place. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. Which Island were you on? Uh, Maui. Mm. Yeah. And we had gone prior, um, like 
I, it was somewhere in 2017, 2018, just after my first flare. So I really didn't have any major disabilities at that point. Um, so uh, we had gone to a couple different islands, but uh, this time we were we were happy just to stay and explore one island for the entirety of the time that we were there and just enjoy it. But where was I going with that? Oh, the the point is we were, we were in the airport and this gentleman saw that I had trekking poles and he came up and asked me about them. He said, oh, like, do they let you bring those on the airplane? And I was like, well, I was like, I have not run into any issues yet. I'd done some traveling with them prior, but if they see me walking, they're going to know I, I need them. I'm not mm. just carrying them on for like to take them hiking on a trip somewhere. And he was like, oh, okay, good to know, good to know. Um, but when we arrived in Hawaii, you know, that's a long stretch. So I was pretty stiff. Um, my husband had gone ahead to get the car, and I was making my way up to the baggage claim. And the guy that had spoken to me prior to leaving, we flew out of Chicago directly over. So um, That is a long the, flight. Yeah, it, it was a long flight. Um, so the guy that I had that had asked me in the Chicago airport must have come up behind me on the way as I was making my way out. And he goes, oh, man, I can see really why you need those now. Mm-hmm. He's like, you should. He's like, why don't you just ask for a wheelchair? Yeah. And I was like, I, because I prefer to walk, right. you know. I'd rather um, not sit right. <laughs> again. And my my point, I guess, of it was is like people can just be unintentionally um, insensitive and mm-hmm. and jerks because, you know, I'm struggling and I know I'm struggling, but to have someone say it to you is like a kick in the gut. Yeah, um, yeah. And he didn't, he didn't mean anything by it. Like I think he literally just physic like was like, oh, I can see what you mean now. Why, why put yourself through that? Mm. But to me, it's very important that I keep doing that. Exactly. Same. um, I'm fighting for every step I have. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I saw one person I interacted with has said the kindest thing, which was keep up the good work with a smile. Right. Because he could see it was difficult. He could see it was hard. But it's that like we don't want to give in to the disease, right? We're going to fight it as long as we can and walk as long as we can, no matter what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then on the other side of the coin, like I was walking somewhere um, around where I live and some guy stopped and then was like, Hey, do you mind if I ask your story? You know, just very curious. That's nice. um, Yeah. And um, he's like, well, thank you for telling me that. He's like, that means so much to, see you out here because I'm, you know, he's physically able and healthy. He's like, I was dragging my butt to get out and, and go for a jog or a walk today. And he's like, just seeing you out there inspired me. So, so that felt good, you know? And so for you sure. get both sides of it. Yeah. People just are unintentionally harsh or mean sometimes. And then people say really, Kind really things. kind things. Yeah. Um, so, and they both hit you, you know, they hit you where you're most sensitive because it's a struggle. Um, but they hit you in different ways. That's the so, truth. Yeah. So but, what about um, a superpower? 
that you've gained through your experience with HSC? Gosh, it's, it's, I I don't know that it's a superpower, but um, when we were away for new years, a friend of ours just finished watching the, um, the, the Meghan Markle, Harry documentary. And at the end of it, they said, you know, what, um, what was last year for you and what was, what do you hope to gain for, for this year? Um, so I guess kind of along those lines, um, she asked that for, for our new year's resolution, so to speak. So for me, I said, you know, last year was a year of healing and I'm still healing, but it was a year of adjustment, um, going through that, that treatment and recovery. And this year, I'm asking for grace for myself and, and acceptance too, because I think before treatment, like I said, you've got this hope for a miracle cure. Mm -hmm. And now that you're, you're over that big hurdle, there really isn't anything else to do than hopefully not progress anymore and just live your life. So it really gives you time to reflect, okay, if this is where I'm going to be moving forward, now I need to start to accept that this is this is where I am so I guess acceptance and grace would be I don't know that I have that superpower but that's what I'm striving for Mm, this year that's beautiful yeah um because I've been you know constantly moving between three camps of like okay this is this is me this is going to be my baseline to like did it work did I am I getting worse to maybe this is just a downward slope of the roller coaster, you know, cause there's no, there's no map for this. There's no, none. And everyone no... is so unique. Yeah. Because yeah. I want to tell you like it's that never goes away. The titration yeah. between did this work? Is my MS coming back? Am I better? Yeah. Am I not better? Am I getting worse? Am I better? Like yeah, five and a half, five, almost five and a half years out the questioning is not as constant anymore. Well, good. <laughs> but it still comes up. Yeah. And I mean, my question for you is if you have any advice to anyone based on your experience, but to jump in and offer ex- advice based on my experience, it, it's just staying patient, right? And and yeah, really taking time to attune with what you need in the moment and that that's what you focus on. And, you know, it's nice to be hopeful, but at the same time, you'll more likely have improvements if you're working toward being intentional to improve rather than dreaming of it. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I would say my advice would be to be realistic Mm -hmm. coming out of it. You know, anyone who's going into this probably is on some type of forum, whether it be on social media or through your organization, but you you can't compare yourself to other people either in treatment, after treatment, um, because it, each journey is individualized and um, you're just going to kick yourself for not being maybe responding the way someone else did, or Mm -hmm. you'll spend your time feeling bad for people who are worse off. Like we, I had a woman that I was in communication with during treatment who just had a lot of questions and I was, you know, messaging her and she went shortly after me. But in, in that time has shown, 
I guess her MRI showed activity even after treatment. So mm-hmm. I guess she would be classified as a non-responder. And so it, you really could be across across the board. So I, in my case, I should be thankful for being at least clinically stable or silent as far as my MRIs are concerned, and then just maybe do what I can to work towards improvement. But again, life gets in the way. Um, I shouldn't, I don't do my exercises as much as I should all the time. I don't eat the best as I should all the time because I'm, I'm working and I have two little kids. Right. Um, You're human. So I'm, I'm often just surviving, you know, from one day to the next. Um, and I, and I say that to myself too, because I look back at when I was in recovery period there, when I just had me to worry about from eight to five while my kids were in daycare, that's not the case anymore. So I I can't, I guess, compare directly how I was doing then to how I'm doing now or how I feel. Mm -hmm. So you're creating your new normal. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, just like I said, hoping to kind of accept where I'm at, if this is, Mm. if this is where things stay, because I'm on the road there, you know, like I said, just even taking those steps to using trekking poles. When we spoke last, I had last thing I wanted to do was pick them up. Um, I've I've got a handicap placard now just for days where I am having a bad day. And all those were at the time, if you asked me, would have been like little defeats, but Mm. I don't know that I didn't need them at the time. I think I was just resistant to them. Stubborn. Same. You are not alone in that. Yeah. So I, I think now that I'm in a place where things that will normalize, I think, I hope the body that I'm in will become my new normal and not constantly thinking about who I used to be or what I used to have, mm-hmm. um, because I still do that a lot. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to do that. But, you know, even when you wake up in the morning, my brain will still be like, hey, got to get up and go. And then the second I stand up is like smack back to reality. Like that's not your reality anymore. And I don't know if that's something that in time fades, um, you know, your brain just kind of gets used to where you're at, but I don't, my brain isn't working that way at this point. Right. <laughs> I'm getting it can be very frustrating. Ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So I think once I got onto my yoga mat, which was only last August regularly because I was resisting my yoga mat because I wasn't a, I knew I wouldn't be able to do the things I used to do. Yeah. And being on my mat since August regularly, which is at least three times a week now, it's been the best thing for me, including yeah. for that acceptance of, yeah. okay, so maybe my yoga practice doesn't look the way it used to, but at least I'm on my mat and I'm mm-hmm. continually surprised of what I am able to do, just trying, right? In the first couple of days, like I would, I would fall or tip over, right? Or lo- and I don't want to yeah. hurt myself, so that's a consideration, certainly. But now I can be in the middle of my mat in my standing poses and not lose my balance. In fact, it's helped improve my balance. It's been the only thing to help my knee pain. It's it's been the best thing I ever did for myself. And it was, you know, four and a half years post-transplant that yeah, I don't know why I waited so long. It was because I was afraid, right? And didn't want to face uh-huh. my new limitations. 
Right. And not that I fully accept them even still, but I have more acceptance now that I'm finding a new place to be with myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead yeah. of striving for what was. Right. Like, I should also say we can oh, never go, go back. I mean, yesterday is already past. Right. Yeah, no, I think you make a really good point is just, I guess, to not be afraid of um, the things that we used to love to do, even though it might look a little bit different. So so I, I will take that sage advice too. <laughs> it's hard. Uh, it's really, really hard. But I definitely wasted more time than I should have just because yeah. of that fear that I wouldn't enjoy it the same. Yeah. Well, and that applies to everything. I, I, yeah. I find myself to be a little bit more with, withdrawn um, just even from friends and stuff just because I'm, I don't know if I'm still embarrassed or, or worried about not being able to keep up, so to speak, in whatever we're doing. So I think a lot of times it's just easier to not participate mm. or, or not push yourself if you're not feeling a hundred percent you just kind of give yourself that excuse like, Oh, I'm tired. You know, it's better off that I, that right. I stay back. Mm-hmm. But, um, but those are the things I love, you know, socializing with my friends and, and being out and doing things. But, uh, that's something I need to work on, I think, cause I think I've become very comfortable just staying put cause mm-hmm. that's what, that's, what's easy, you know? <laughs> well, and it is what you've needed. So you'll find yeah. your way. Yeah, I hope so. I am. Um, I just got Botox injections in my calves too, so I'm hoping mm. that uh, that that was like two days ago. So the jury's still out for that. I can't I can't weigh in on whether that's helpful or will be helpful or not. But there are other things out there too for people. I guess I should mention that can maybe help alleviate residual symptoms. So hopefully, hopefully I gain some benefit from this, or at least allows me to exercise and strengthen more efficiently but we'll see (laughs) yeah well and just detox continue detoxing and yeah resting and ultimately that positive mindset is is a huge factor too so keep up with that grace and acceptance I will. I hope this one's been clear for everyone. I feel like I was a little bit more scattered this time around but um, I hope I hope people gain some insight from it Oh, the interview? I think so, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should also mention, too, I did get the book for Dr. Burt's book from you guys because I won the raffle. Yes, Um, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Um, So that's been, I started reading that in Hawaii, and um, I did mention I'm open to being a volunteer for you guys. Like As far as if someone wants to talk, I'm happy to to go through my experience or answer any questions. So wonderful. I'm looking at the time and feel so bad to have carried you well past our hour together. <laughs> oh, no, no worries. But um, yeah, like I said, I hope I hope this is helpful in some way. And I'm just hoping for little micro improvements, like you said, as, as time moves on. So I think you'll be surprised, especially if you keep up with exercise, how much is possible for the brain to rewire and yeah. neuroplasticity. And it's just sometimes it takes time. Mm-hmm. So don't believe the two year recovery window. 
some people say yeah. it's just two years, but I swear it's, I mean, I continue to find improvements at five and a half years out. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Cause I initially thought, you know, by 12 months I'd be back to my baseline. So, mm-hmm. um, nope. you know what I mean? It, that, that does provide some, some, uh, hope that, I'm I'm not there yet too. So not to be too hard or too disappointed on right. where I am today, because hopefully there will be improvement to come. If you put your mind to it. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mike, for sharing your story and updating us on how everything went in Monterey for you, even with the hiccups. I appreciate yep. that vulnerability and helping other people who might experience similar hiccups, right? That you can get through this. There are trained medical professionals to help you. And even when things might look scary, they actually end up resolving most of the time. It will be fine. Yeah. Be prepared for it. And it, you know, it it will be handled, but um, just be prepared for whatever's to come. So yeah, it was a pleasure. I appreciate chatting with you always a pleasure to connect and so we will do that again sometime soon all righty sounds good in the meantime take good care you too thanks mike okay be sure to visit hsctwarriorspodcast.org where you can find notes from today's episode submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Alitzelzer for sharing his superpowers to create, soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. It has been amazing to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us on Instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well. Jen Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician and take good care.